0: rebel author podcast where we talk about books business and occasionally bad words Hello Rebels and welcome to episode 228 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm having a proper nerd out with Clayton Knoblet from Written Word Media and we are talking all about publishing predictions for 2024 and beyond. One comment on the last episode which was Jesse D'Angelo's episode, Matt Goodall said, what a fun episode, Jesse was great to listen to, I hadn't considered the life experience slash personal terror aspect of horror. That's a really helpful perspective. Now I want to know what some of his juicy rebellions are. Well, what can I say? <laughs> okay, to tell you today... <laughs> So if you are listening to this in real time, then today my very first Kickstarter goes live at 5pm UK time. If you are not listening live, then the Kickstarter is running for just about three weeks, just under three weeks. So please, please, please do go and check it out. What is this Kickstarter all about? Well, let me tell you. I have spent a really long time wishing, lusting for and coveting uh, all of the amazing, beautiful book boxes that... Fantasy romance readers get, but those romances are always straight. And I'm not straight. <laughs> I wanted to see one of those beautiful books and beautiful boxes uh, full of queer stuff. So that is what I'm doing. I am running. A Kickstarter for a gorgeous, and honestly, it is probably the most beautiful vampire book I've ever seen. Uh, This gorgeous silvery rainbow holographic foiled hardback with um, foiling on both the cover and the um, case and the... um, What else? And we've got colour end pages. We've got colour not safe for work going inside. We've got headbands and tailbands and ribbons gone inside. We've got a beautiful map that's been illustrated. It is basically one of the most gorgeous books I have ever seen. And I far reeked when I got to see it. I was literally like giddy. I put a silly little TikTok of me uh, basically showing you my reaction (laughs) the first time I saw it. Uh, And I cannot wait. The other exciting thing that I'm doing is obviously we've got all of the normal stuff. So we've got uh, the art prints, we've got bookmarks, we've got um, a playlist that I've designed and printed and put in there. We've also got a kink list. But uh, this whole thing is about the experience. So not just the reading of the book but giving you an experience whilst reading this book so I have also got a vibrator inside this box. I'm so excited. It's just a little one this time. Uh, but if this Kickstarter goes well, if I fund, then I'm going to go bigger and better next time. And one of my ideas is to write the sex toys into the book and then put the, the or, you know, ship in those toys and have them in the boxes. So it really, truly is an experience. Uh, so we have a kink list where you can recreate the scenes or whatever you want uh, from the book and a whole bunch of basically just goodies that are digital and physical. So you can get, um, and the high tier as well, I will personally hand annotate, highlight, squiggle, draw beauty, well, not draw... (laughs) I don't draw, but you know what I mean. Um, I will hand annotate the books and you can direct me and tell me what you would like me to focus on, whether it's like my author thoughts, the inspiration, perhaps my favourite lines, if you want particular scenes highlighted, or um, if you want to know about the inspiration for them, whatever you want. There are only five of these because it takes so much bloody time and I will you know, spend a lot of time um, making it pretty uh, and tailoring it customizing it to exactly what you want. So there are only five of those. Uh, I can't do anymore because of how long it's going to take. But yes, so that is going to be my big tier. And I am redonkulously excited for this. Like, I have spent so long resisting his Kickstarter and now that we're actually here and now that I see the book and I see the rainbow silvery gayness I'm just so excited so anyway, anyway, anyway If you are a fan of Kickstarter, please go and follow the Kickstarter. Get notified when it goes live today. If you're listening in real time, please come and check out the Kickstarter. I really, really, really would appreciate it. Um, Even if you can't support, just come and check it out. If you know somebody who you think might like it, please share it. And on that note, (laughs) because of a scheduling faux pas, I also have my webinar. This is the last time I'm going to be telling you about it, because as this episode goes live, the webinar will be in two days' time. So if you're listening in real time, you still have a chance to join the webinar. And if you are not, then you may well have missed your chance. So as a little final reminder, this webinar is the Pros in the Market webinar, Writing to market isn't new, but when teachers talk about it, they often focus on understanding the market, advertising, brand, and pitch. But what about the writing and craft of writing to market? If you're tired of trying to work out how to deliver what readers want, then this is the workshop for you. In the session, I'll be explaining how to deconstruct best-selling books and implement the tools you'll find, an easy three-step methodology for deconstruction, practical examples of deconstruction and implementation in your own work, why you're not using copywriting enough, how to intentionally slip TikTokable and marketable scenes into your novels that will hook readers. We'll talk a little bit about tropes, And of course, we will do live deconstruction examples as well. And as a little bonus, you'll receive a workbook containing exercises for you to implement all of the things that you learned during the session. So these, there are three sessions to try and accommodate time zones. They are across Friday and Saturday, the 9th and 10th of February. And if you're in New Zealand, Australia, those might be the 10th and the 11th. Um, but I will leave all of the links in the show notes. This is your last chance. There will not be a replay unless you are a ticket holder. If you hold a ticket and you have purchased a ticket, even if you can't come, you will be able to get the replay. If you do not, you will not. Okay, right. That's enough of what I'm doing uh, or what I what I am going to be doing. In terms of what I have been doing, mostly stressing the fuck out. I uh if you're a patron, you will hear this in real time the uh episode of the the episode 18 of the Black Heron will go out today, but uh if you're not a patron, then you'll have to wait a month to listen to it. But a, a kind of summary is that With the explosion of TikTok for me uh, and the explosion, I guess, of income and the other streams that have been going on, it has caused a lot of um, minor issues for me. So Shopify has um, done incredibly well, turned over a few thousand last month in January, which is just fantastic and very unexpected. But the amount of customer service that has been needed has been quite a lot, a lot more than I anticipated. So I am possibly going to need to hire um, or uh, I don't know, I'm in talks with my current uh, virtual assistant who is amazing, but obviously she has lots of clients. So I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, the point is um, there is uh, there has been a lot of more, basically notifications, emails, customer service required. And that has been really difficult for me to manage because I kind of overscheduled for February and I put my hands up, I'm basically absolutely fucking slammed. And I feel like I've been slammed for the last two months trying to um, make sure that this increase in growth doesn't go away. Um, and so I'm dealing with a lot of the emotions around this first initial kind of explosion and all the fear that comes with that. And I don't think we talk about this very much, but basically, psychologically, it's really scary. Like, okay, I've got this huge burst of money come in, but what if it goes away? What if I accidentally spend it? What if I can't pay my tax bill? What if the tax bill's huge? What if, you know, all of these what if, what if, what ifs? And I refuse to live in fear. So I'm trying to like psychologically beat the fear away and just like be brave and be confident and believe that it's going to continue. But that's really hard. Like, anyway, so... This is kind of where I'm at. And, and the consequences of all of that are that I have been asked to do more things, you know, wonderful, wonderful opportunities. We'd love to you to speak here. We want you to come to this event. We'd love you to join our anthology. Um, you know, I've got a group. Would you be part of it? All of these things, they are incredible. They're living the dream. It's amazing. But for me, who, and everybody drink, has a lot of yellow Clifton strengths, um, I find saying no excruciatingly painful. I want to be able to say yes to everybody because I want to make people smile I want to um you know I I want to do the things that have a positive impact but (laughs) the last two months have shown me I I can't I actually cannot I am at the point where I cannot reply to everybody I cannot say yes to everything um and that is really crazy horrible actually. I don't like it if I'm honest. Um, It's making me really uncomfortable. I want to be able to say yes to everybody but I realise that I am only one person and (sighs) you know what? It's really hard because I I like making people smile. I like delivering for my community and it's actually killing me. I have been sick this month where I have been literally working every I did not have a day off in January. Let me put it that way. And that is not sustainable. So I have got an appointment with my business coach on Friday and we are going to look at restructuring and look at what I'm doing, and what I can cut, and, you know, where my time is best spent, because I don't want to literally put myself in hospital, and unfortunately for me, as a number one competition, that is a real possibility, because I just won't stop. So, yeah, I, oh God, I don't, I feel shit talking about it, if I'm honest. I I, I really don't like I don't like talking about it. I don't like admitting it. I don't, I feel gross. And anyway, obviously I'm also in a very positive position because all of this growth is the dream, right? I feel like I'm finally reaching the dream. I am also, don't think I've sort of said this anywhere, but I am gonna cross the six figure threshold in the next couple of months. And that is pretty fucking amazing. So that is the dream. I've been waiting for that for a long time. And when I cross that threshold, it also means that I will actually do a numbers update with my annual Lessons Learned. So everybody hope and cross your fingers that I do that before the Lessons Learned episode. I think that's in April. Yeah, I think it's April. Cross your fingers that I do that. And then I will add in a numbers, an actual tangible numbers update in my annual Lessons Learned, which is going to be fucking terrifying. (laughs) But also... One of the things that I love more than anything about Rachel Heron is that she just confesses all the numbers and it is like catnip and crack to me. And I have always wanted to be brave enough to do that and I haven't quite managed it. I know I give you percentages, but I really want to give the numbers and I just I just haven't been able to bring myself to do that. But if, if I cross, well, not if, I'm going to cross, I am going to cross that threshold because of the numbers. I already know I'm going to cross that threshold. So when I do that, I will add in that update. So yes, it has been a hell of a month psychologically there's also okay and i know this is a really long intro but hey you're listening so <laughs> tough this this journey to six figures for me has been very very fucking long i am not a unicorn I am not one of these people that publishes one or two books and has made a fuckload of money. That's not me. I have worked my arse off, worked myself to the bone to get to this point, uh, to the point of sickness, let's be real, which is not healthy and I am now trying to fix that. I think I'm gonna book a spa a few days for me and Chloe in the February half term. Uh, So I think we're gonna do that. But anyway, my point is I'm not a unicorn. I'm not one of these authors that suddenly exploded I mean in a way I exploded overnight but not really because it's been well you guys have been on this journey with me this podcast has been what four years I think it is now and it's not been fucking easy it really really hasn't and yeah I don't know I try and always be honest with you but actually the psychology of this shift is uh uncomfortable and so I'm just gonna keep talking about it and hope that you don't hate me (laughs) or hope that you don't think I'm weird or, oh God, I'm so uncomfortable. Uh, Anyway, I'm just, listen, I just need to, I just need to say all of the things that are in my brain and continue to be truthful because I think that is what this community needs. So yeah, that's me. I'm in a rocky patch and one minute I'm crying in the corner and the next minute I'm laughing hysterically with elation and joy. <laughs> so basically, business as usual, I'm still a conniption fit. <laughs> All right, that is more than enough from me this week. I'm deeply uncomfortable, I'm slightly sweaty and uh, I want to move on. <laughs> okay, the rebel of the week this week is Beth. Beth says, back in the early 1980s, my father lived in a very rough neighborhood of Washington, D.C. I grew up in a rural town in Pennsylvania, so was frightened of the neighborhood. Having bars on the outside of windows and doors told my eight-year-old brain this place was not safe. My father said he wanted to toughen me up, so he gave me money and told me to walk to the corner market two blocks away and buy milk, egg, and breads. Oh my goodness me. I was terrified. After hemming and whoring around for over an hour, he told me I would not get dinner until I went and the store was closing in a few hours. Oh my God. My father had a pet boa constrictor named Spot. (laughs) So I wrapped spot around my waist and walked to the store. Jesus fucking Christ. You took a boa constrictor to the store. It was a boa constrictor. How did it not constrict around your stomach? Oh my gosh. I watched as a tough, heavily tattooed man I had never seen, uh, I'd never before seen a tattooed in person, a tattoo in person walk towards me. But as soon as that six foot tall man saw the boa, he sprinted (laughs) to the other side of the street. And I felt powerful. I bet you did. It took some negotiating with the store clerk (laughs) to accept my money. And the trip home was very long as I had to keep... "'Resting from carrying the milk. "'I was happy to not be bothered. "'Numerous people went to the other side of the street, "'but no one helped me either. "'I got back to my father's in one one piece, "'but asked him never to ask me to get milk again. "'I did often use spot when he forced me to go on other errands in the neighbourhood. "'Upon reflection, it probably wasn't safe to wear the boa as a belt. "'It could have decided to climb up to my neck and choke me.' i need to know more so beth i if you would please email me i would love 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 to hear more about this story like how did the boa not constrict around your waist like how did the snake not just continue to move whilst it was around your stuff did it not just like ride around your body like i need to know about this i love snakes i hate spiders but i love snakes and um i always wanted a pet snake as a child and my fucking younger brother got the snake i was really pissy about this um i never got the snake but that's because i lived with my mum and my brother lived with my dad and he- so he got the snake and then he didn't fucking look after him so i was extra cross about that um but i I love snakes. They fascinate me. I think they're beautiful. Um, And also I I remember the first time one of my friends at school had a snake. She had this beautiful yellow corn snake, yellow and white corn snake. And I remember the first time I held it, it was warm and I couldn't believe it. And I also couldn't believe how kind of like, um, what's the word? Like uh, dense the snake body is as well like I don't know what I was what my childhood brain was expecting maybe something squishier but they're fucking heavy snakes are heavy uh, anyway so I'm doubly impressed that your eight-year-old uh, he- uh you know carried the snake but also how the fuck did you not lose the snake <laughs> how did the snake not fall off your belly or I don't know anyway I'm just I need to know more about this story please please email me more details I'm fascinated If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, something pet-like. It could be a siblings, an aunties, an uncles, a parents, whatever you like. You can email your Rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. One new patron, hello, a huge thank you to Jesse Reed, and of course, an enormous thank you to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content like our Poison and Prose sessions, where you can ask me questions about writing, publishing, marketing, craft, anything that you like, and then we write together. Uh, we have our movie nights, our masterclasses, and of course, you get early access to all of the episodes as well. You can do that from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This episode is sponsored by ProWritingAid, but rather than me tell you all about why I adore them and why I use them for my own editing, I'm going to let Eden tell you all about why they use it for their editing instead.
1: So, I really like Pro Writing Aid because it acts as a second set of eyes to help me pick out any of the um, subconscious mistakes or any of the overused patterns that uh, occur in my writing. Um, Apparently, commas are my worst enemy, but uh, thanks to Pro Writing Aid, it's gotten a lot better. Um, As a result, my writing is clearer and better structured, which is a fantastic plus for a a writer, certainly.
0: Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Clayton Noblett. Clayton is a senior marketing manager at Written Word Media. He is passionate about helping authors find their readers and finding ways to sell more books. When he's not working, he enjoys spending time with his family, playing sports and making beverages. Now, I seem to remember last time you were on this show, you told me that you played an unusual sport. Is that right?
1: That's that's correct. Yes, I uh, I, I don't play anymore, but I used to play Ultimate Frisbee.
0: That uh, was it. I knew it was something interesting. Yeah, yeah that's so cool. <laughs> were last on the on the podcast on episode 179, which was March 2023. So almost a year ago. So what have you and Written Word Media been up to since then?
1: Ooh, lots of, lots of different things. Um, I think probably the the most exciting thing for, for authors um, is we launched um, something called made Promo Stacks um, at Written Word Media. Uh, which is, you know, promo stacking is where authors do a lot of marketing in a short period of time to increase their book's rank on retailers like Amazon. And we knew authors were doing this with our promos and they would stack our promos um, with other promo sites, um, places you might traditionally consider to be our competitors. Um, And then this was working really well for authors. Um, It was just kind of a logistical nightmare. Um, Lots of spreadsheets um, and some promo sites won't tell you the day your promo is going to run when you schedule it. Um, so then there's kind of weeks of waiting and and sending various emails and making sure everything's lined up. And so talking with authors, we were realizing, hey, this is a good strategy, but it's a real pain to do. Um And so we started talking with with other promo sites in the industry, um and we all f- decided there was a, a big potential for a win-win here. And so we've actually brought promo sites onto our platform. And so now authors can schedule an entire promo stack. Um, from writtenwordmedia.com and the time it took it takes to schedule a single promo. Um, so it's been some big time savings, um, some massive audiences for authors to reach. Um, and that's kind of the, the big thing that we did in 2023. Um, and we're getting a lot of positive feedback on it.
0: So that's pretty amazing. What, um, what does it look like in practicality? So is it like back to back day after day? Are they spread out? Do you get to choose? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, so the, the scheduling is all pre-made in the system. You'll see the dates um, that the different promos will run as you schedule your promo stack. So you won't be going in blind. You'll know what, what you're purchasing. Um, but basically, the our system has an algorithm. And based on the available dates and the genre of the book and how long you want the promo stack to be, it will generate a stack um, that will work well for you. Um, And so the stacks can be, you know, we have single day stacks, uh, which is just a couple things on one day. Um, Then we have three day stacks and five day stacks. So if you go to writtenwordmedia.com and click on promo stacks, you can filter for the price of your book during the promotion. So either 99 cents or free for promo stacks, you can filter for your genre. And then from there, you can choose how long you want the promo stack to be and which sites or ads you want to include in the promo stack.
0: And I'm sorry, I know that I'm putting you on the spot here. Uh, Do you have any data from that yet? Like, are you seeing any like? Do you have results? Like, what? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So, so we don't actually see sales data in the end um, because we are partnering with with other promo companies, and and the authors see that. Um, What we do have is is author testimonials and author feedback, um, and we're seeing really, really positive feedback from authors. Um, A lot of authors are running these promo stacks on their own before, uh, and so now they can just come to us and save a lot of time. And so they're seeing the same results or sometimes even better because we're introducing them to new promo sites that we've vetted and trust to work with. Um, So the feedback from the author community has been been really outstanding. We don't have hard data or anything to compare it to really because we would just be comparing it to promo stacks that authors ran on their own before. Um, but all all the, the buzz and, and the things that we've heard from our customers have been really good. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really happy with how it's working out so far.
0: That is awesome. I love that. And I know um, from firsthand experience that um, basically I attempted to organize a promo stack and very rapidly outsourced that to my virtual assistant, who is fantastically uh, uh, much, much better at arranging things like that than me, because mine resulted in a tantrum and probably some tears.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I I think that is a a all too common experience. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I think a lot of the things we end up building are just suggestions from authors. And, yeah. you know, from tantrums,
0: you mean? <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. If you have a tantrum, let us know about it. We might build something to fix it. So yeah. Tell me about your tantrums. It'll help us out.
0: <laughs> oh my God. That's spectacular. I feel like we need like a an aunt, an aunt, aunt media kind of column where authors oh, just come and tantrum and then you go off and build things. That'd be amazing. I love it. Oh dear. Okay, well, we are here to talk about trends and the author survey from last year and trends for the future. So um, I always like reading the survey because I i mean, I love data, I love tracking things, I love stats and, and whatnot. So would you like to first of all, just talk broad brush about the survey, like why you do it, the data that you get from it, and maybe some of the highlights that you sort of look at annually, and then we'll go into what you found last year, this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think, we, I think we first did the survey in 2017, I want to say, um, and it was really just born of, you know, at, at Word Media, we're also very interested in in data and systems. I think that's what we attribute a lot of our success to. Um, and we kind of realized this author community knows very little about each other, and we knew very little about the author community on aggregate. You know, you can always talk to individual authors but you never know if you're getting a good view, kind of how things are going on the whole, right? Online, it seems like the the loudest voices are the ones that are heard and you never know how many people are just not getting into the comments um, that also are participating in the author community. Um, So a survey seemed like a good way to get kind of a, a better overall idea of what's going on out there and then it will also help authors kind of understand where they're at in kind of the overall scheme of things instead of just comparing to the, you know, the one or two authors they know in person or one specific author community they're in online. Um, so the survey seemed like a really helpful thing was the theory.
0: Yeah, and I also think that when you're in certain Facebook groups, there are some very loud voices. Um, and there are some like that some voices that are particularly loud do certain things, run certain business models, and make certain amounts of money. And so I think we can get very um distorted on what is actually possible. Like, for example, um the common in air quotes in the author model is that we make all our money from ebooks but I earn over 50% of my income from paperbacks and hardbacks. So I am an anomaly, I suppose, in the community Um, and I make good money. So, you know, it's not that it can't be done. It's just that, you know, we, there are certain voices that we hear and certain patterns. It's almost like, um, our phones listening to us and show us particular things because yeah. they hear what we're talking. And so it then becomes this, I can't think of the word, but like self-fulfilling prophecy almost that you then see what is, what you think is whatever, you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. elections and and what Google does and all of the rest of it and shows you and all that stuff. Not that we're getting into politics, but anyway. um. So moving very rapidly on before I put my foot in it, uh, what... <laughs> I'm sick. Okay. My brain's not working very well. Um, What were the highlights from the 2023 one? Were there any shifts that you saw compared to 2022? I'd be really interested to know what those shifts were. Maybe let's start there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think kind of the I noticed a big overall shift in 2023, and it was that kind of broadly authors or indie authors seem to be getting more professional and that they're, they're spending more and putting more effort into editing, cover design, and kind of the, the packaging of the, the final book. Um, so we saw year over year authors are spending more on editing. They're, more of them are using an outside editor instead of editing themselves. And then much the same with cover design. Fewer authors were designing their own covers and more people were paying more um, for covers being designed. Um, and so things like this are, are things that we've seen in general as the industry matures a little bit. Um, now for an indie author to stand out um, and, and have success... Um, you know, a lot of book covers out there now are very high quality. You can't tell the difference between an indie cover and a traditional cover that didn't used to always be the case, but now it absolutely is. And so in order to compete, you need to have a professional looking book that that's well edited and indie authors seem to be recognizing that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that comes into something that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but I think that's reflected in, in indie authors pursuing quality and experience over necessarily, um, like rapid consumption, which I still think there is like a Netflix culture for whale readers. Certainly you're going to get some readers who like for me, for example, I'm not, I will collect a special edition, but I, because of the amount that I consume, I am more of the whale reader and I don't care what format it comes in as long as I can get the content. Um. But then the things that I am like, you know, super fan or whatever, then I would back the Kickstarter I do back Kickstarter you know it's that kind of like filling in those different markets and and I think it yeah and I think it, I think we have been the Netflix authors who just create binge consumption content um yeah and now we're gonna do like Hollywood 50 billion dollar fantasy movies aren't we in terms <laughs> of books like I don't know what how else to compare it yeah, <laughs> but, yeah.
1: I, 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 I think that kind of the the, the Netflix analogy, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think, you know, authors are are recognizing that, hey, you know, I don't just because I'm not signed with, with Simon & Schuster doesn't mean my book can't look as good or better as all of their titles and have a better description and be just as, as well edited. Um, all, all those things are totally achievable. Um, yeah, and, and- it
0: hundred percent and and I don't think necessarily that the content that we're creating is any different like I think it's about how it's packaged and how it's produced right so like you're now seeing authors who have been part of the Netflix binge culture then doing a special edition of their Netflix bingeable book which then becomes the Hollywood Blockbuster so it's not that like the style of voice or anything has or the craft has to change it's just how you're marketing it and branding it and packaging it and it's like how do you make best use of your assets i suppose um okay well we've already gone way off tangent <laughs> um wh- so what do you think is like the biggest message that new writers need to hear from the survey like let's say you've got a new writer coming in um they maybe towards the end of their the end of their edits of their first book, and they're just about to launch in 2024. What are the big takeaways from the survey? What do it? What do they need to know? What is the game they need to play? How can they best set themselves up for success?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I think for for new writers in particular, I think the takeaway from the survey is that the the strongest if you're interested in earning money from writing, and you know, there's many different goals for writing. I market books, so I talk a lot about money. Um, But so if you're interested in building a business around your writing, um, the number of books you have published is the most important thing for you. So if you're about to publish your first book and you don't make a million dollars in the first year, that's fine, that's exceedingly normal. What you wanna do is have a plan for the long game to publish a title every year, multiple titles every year, and grow your kind of collection of content. And then as you bring readers in, the readers increase in value over time as you have more things to sell them. So if you're a new author and you wanna build a business around writing, focusing on a plan to publish 10, 15 books throughout the course of your career at least is probably the, the most important thing to focus on.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I think the plan has to be twofold because they need to not only, like, it's compound interest, right, with readers. So when you get a, when you're five years into your journey and you get a new reader, that new reader is worth more. But if you've kept the reader, the the original readers, then those original readers will keep you going whilst you're getting to that point. So it's both it's both, you know, production of of new stuff and how do you capture new readers and how do you nurture the ones that you've already got, I suppose. So I think that's yeah. So so what you're saying is focus on production, not marketing or
1: I think for for newer authors going in, I, I think you're you're better served focused on production at least until you have three titles out. Um, in my mind, I, not that you shouldn't be doing any marketing, um, you should be doing marketing. You should be learning how to market your books. Most importantly, yeah. yeah. Um, but in in terms of generating revenue, getting more titles out is going to have the biggest impact.
0: Yeah, um, I agree. I mean, I finished. I finished. I started a new pen name last year, um, and I finished the trilogy in. Mm-hmm. October and then December was when I had like a I had some like a micro viral post on TikTok which then blew everything and I earned more in December than I'd earned like the whole rest of the year and it's continued through January and but the thing is is that I had I, the reason it's continued is that they've all finished book one, and now they're reading book two and three. So the reason that the money has continued is that there is somewhere for them to go. Because obviously in December it was book one that made all the money, and now that's kind of like averaging back out. Um, yep. And I'm trying, and, and I basically dropped everything to publish next month so that I can start to pre get pre-orders through for the next one whilst they're like finishing. I mean that's why I'm sick because I've literally pulled like basically fucking all-nighters to get this stuff done okay. but 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 you know that's what you have to do you have to capitalize on the fact that these people have have found you okay yep. so what let's leave new writers what about writers who are somewhere in the middle like what what does your survey say they should be doing um the ones who maybe they've done a few books maybe maybe they've got some success but maybe they're not where they want to be like what does the survey indicate
1: yeah. So, you know, I, I think the the big thing um, that, that I want writers to focus on when they're thinking about building their business um, is that there's a bunch of different phases along the reader journey um, when it comes to finding an author. So first readers become aware of a book. Um, and so you can have readers become aware of your titles by running advertisements with companies like written word media, running your own ads, um, do, doing ver- various things like posting on social media just to get that top level awareness out there. Then if a, if a reader who's aware of your book, um, if, you, if your book catches their eye, typically with its cover or something you say about the book in its ad, um, then the reader is going to go to the book page and they're going to consider buying it. And then that's where your cover and your description play a really big role um, in whether the reader decides whether or not to, to purchase the book. Um, and then after they read the book, you need to have something for them to do after they finish it to continue on their journey in your universe. So making sure that your back matter is optimized with links to join your mailing list, then the next, next book in the series, something else of value that a reader can do for you is really important. And so thinking about that as a journey and making sure that you're addressing all steps in that reader journey to make sure that you're maximizing the number of readers who are coming into your, your community, and then making sure you're maximizing how many of them stick around and do other things for you. Um, So thinking about it from the reader perspective and all the steps they go through to become one of your fans or one of your readers um, is a really important thing for authors. Too often I see people focused on just running ads, but then their description or their cover might not be the most appealing. Um, Or they'll run ads and have a great description and a great cover, but then no ask in the back matter of their book for the reader to go on and do something else of value. And so, you know, these are things that become obvious when you think about it from the reader perspective. Um, but it's it's too too easy to lose that perspective, I think. So thinking about the reader journey from the reader's perspective um, is what I think is really important for a lot of kind of authors in the middle there.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think there's like a, a learning moment where we really understand that we are not the reader. Like for, I really fought against that for a long time. And I was like, no, I read in my genre. Um, excuse me, I I am my reader, I'm writing for me, but I'm actually not because, um, I don't behave necessarily the way that my readers behave, like the, you know, anyway, like it is a lesson that we have to learn and understand. And also just the way that we talk about books, what our job is like as a marketer of those books versus what our job is not. And yeah, I just, I find it really, really interesting. And, um, yeah, anyway. Okay, so I'm not going to ask about kind of the, you know, the further along end, because I think they're already smashing it. So there's probably nothing that, <laughs> that I can say, or that you could say from the survey. Before we move on from the survey, was there anything else kind of interesting or, or eye-catching or revealing that you were like, oh, like from the, from the survey?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think the, so this year was the first year we asked about AI um, for authors and we asked three questions. We asked if authors um, would use AI to help them in the writing process. So generating ideas um, or helping them plot, but not actually writing the text in the book itself. Um, and we asked authors if they would ever use AI to help them write the text in the book. So using AI to write actual copy that goes in the book. And then we also asked if they would use AI to assist with marketing. Um, and about, I think it was 70%, 70% said they would never use AI to help them in any way with their writing. What? Uh, so that oh, would,
0: wow. Yeah,
1: so not, not even to help them with ideas or character names, 70% said they would never. Um, I bet
0: that is a radically different number to next year.
1: I, I cannot wait yeah. for the survey this year, right? I, I, like, that is going to swing more than any other number, number yeah. in the year to year. Yeah. Um, so that, that stuck out to me right away. I was like, ooh, I can't wait for next year to see where that's yeah. at. <laughs> um, so, you know, 70% of authors, very anti-AI to help with the writing. Um, but then about 50% said they would use it to help with marketing. Um, so a big, oh. campaign, um, and a lot more people are willing to help it write. Uh, use AI to help write marketing copy, generate images, stuff like that, or generate ideas for how to market your books.
0: That Uh, is so interesting. And I would love to dive into the psychology of that. I wonder if it's because we're feeling like we feel more ownership over the written content and that, and not, not to, not to piss anybody off, but like that preciousness, over it's my baby, it's my story, it's my blah, blah, blah. Um, versus, you know, none of us love, love marketing. Like we do marketing because we need to do it and therefore we feel less ownership over it. I wonder if that's why people are more comfortable to to use it for marketing. I have no idea. I'm just like postulating here.
1: Um, I, but, I have some data to, to back up your point. I, I agree. Oh. Um, oh. We actually ask authors um, in the survey um, what is the the worst part or most difficult part of being an author. Yeah. And no matter how many books they've written or how much they're earning, authors across kind of every category are most likely to say that marketing is the most difficult part of being an author.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah, and so- I bet
0: the inroad with marketing, letting AI help with marketing, will lead to that sw- swing because they'll get used to it. And then once they're used to it, they'll it will expand. Oh God, I'm interested in the results next year.
1: <laughs> me too, me too, stay tuned.
0: Yeah, no, I find this fascinating. I like just intellectually from like the debate and the, you know, the, yeah, just just looking at the data and the stats and those, I mean, I it's like, this is like catnip to me. Um, okay, all right. Um, what type of business structures and models are, um, like, established indie authors using? Like, is there still hope for new authors coming in in 2024? Um, you know, can you still start and, again and, and uh, you know, become full-time? What From your survey, like, what elements do you think that they're going to need to get there? I know you've said lots of books. Um, but, yeah, can you what, – what are the business structures that are working?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I think, number one – um, you can, there, there's always hope to make it full-time writing. Um, you know, I, it, obviously it's very difficult to do, um, but I don't think it's less likely now than it has been in the past. No, um, I don't there's this you know this conception that you're competing with other authors sometime I I don't think that's true at all you're all developing the market the market you're all serving readers um people read so much they're they're not um, like uh, having too much to read out there in the world
0: exactly Um, I read like 120 books a year like you cannot serve me well I cannot have one author serve me unless you are like Fucking right! Unless you're publishing like a book a day, you cannot yeah. sat- satiate me. Sorry,
1: <laughs> never satisfied, and there's a lot of readers like that, right? Exactly. So yeah. So so number one, I, you know, I think there's always hope, um, even if it feels like more authors are publishing than ever before. That's not a bad thing. Um, look at other authors as a, as a way to help you. Um, and, and then number one, the the strategy that we see working has to do with the number of books, um, and particularly writing in series. This has been been true for a long time, but it's still working in my opinion, writing in a series.
0: Was there a number? Like, do you have numbers? Like where that, that sort of number is that
1: you're seeing? The number of books published.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So we, in the, in the survey, we have a chart, um, that graphs monthly income over number of books published. Um, and we see it start to flatten out the income at around 30 books. So that's where we start to see diminishing return on the, the number of books being published. But we do see significant spikes around, I think it's three and seven books published as well. Uh, we tend to see a little jump. Um, but it, you know, as much as 30 books being published is when we see a, a real drop off in number of books published correlating with income
0: because at that point they're earning so much that
1: what yeah i yeah i'm i'm not sure why that could be um it could be that you know maybe once you have you know 20 or 30 books um then it's the marketing that starts to differentiate you instead of just having the, the number of books being out there um so that that could be a difference um yeah so I,
0: yeah I, i'm really curious about going into that data so <clears throat> somebody who has 50 books wouldn't necessarily earn more than somebody who's got 30 books. Is that what you're saying?
1: Correct, yes. It's not universally true, um, but looking at, across the data as a whole, we started to, to see that, that after 30, the income climbs much less steeply than it does with fewer than 30 books.
0: Okay, okay. But now that you've said that, that makes more sense. I think that's because there are plateaus and then to change. So I think like getting to six figures is like that 30 book marker it used to be 20 i think but now it's 30 Um, and then once and this is listen for people freaking out about us talking about needing 30 books not everybody needs 30 books like i can't say what i'm gonna say but i'll say it offline like there are certain people who who have less books that uh, can earn six figures what i am saying is that you reach a certain like that first six figures is the hardest once you've got that actually you have to do other things to expand the income like ads, or you need to take staff on, or you need to do, you need to do translations or, you know, whatever the business model has to shift at that point in order to like see rapid expansion. Also, because I think, and this is just me guessing, but once you have 30 books, whatever you put out after that, that first book of the 30 is probably a little old and tired at that point. And so it's probably not earning as much. So I think that it's this cycle of like the life cycle of a book that once, you know, in order to produce 30 books, it's going to take a certain amount of time, you know, for those who are doing 10 a year or whatever, obviously, it's less time. But for those who do maybe five books a year, actually, by the time you've got to that figure of 30, that first book is old and either needs new covers or it needs an edit or it needs a refresh or a different, you have to do different marketing methods to reach people. So that would be my educated guess as to why that happens and why you have to try some new business
1: model. I, I like that. I think that does make a lot of sense. Something that I've, I've just come up with, uh, you've given me an idea for, for next year's survey, um, is asking authors not only how many books they have published, but how many different series they've written in, right? Like, how long are each of these series that these high-earning authors, um, how, how many books are in each of their series?
0: Yeah. Uh, and
1: how often do they start a new one? Um, things like that are are very interesting right is that is that a good way to keep keep things fresh
0: yeah you would need to cross correlate that with the genre as well because i think you'll you'll see that there are correlations in the genre and then the other thing that i would be i know and this is the problem is the survey is going to get huge but i would be fascinated to know um like those who are earning 100k versus those earning 500k and to see if there are like different either marketing methods or models or business models or structures that they're using in order to, to breach those. Cause I know from like sort of anecdotal chats of friends and things that they they have to do something to then push it over. But anyway, we are way off track of the questions, but this <laughs> is just so interesting. Um, okay. One of the other things that you do is you publish like a trends article every year. And one of the interesting trends that you picked up on is quality, which we have spoken about um, already a little bit. Um, And I would just like to be clear that rapid releasing is not an indicator or predictor of quality. Some people just write good books quickly, Some people, uh, I actually write better, faster than I do slower because I don't second guess myself. But anyway, um, and I think that MVP, so like minimum viable product books were thrown around like a lot. And that is different to, um, you know, high quality So why do you think this is a trend? Why do you think this is coming? Um, And so that's my part A is the, why do you think this is coming? And the part B is what does quality look like? Is it just in reference to eBooks? Is it physical books? What do you think that quality is going to look like in the market going forward?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so for part A, why why this is a trend. Um, so for this Trends post, I ask a, a lot of different industry experts and professionals kind of what they see coming in the industry. And by far, this was the most common response, um, something about quality becoming more important. Um, and, and really, the, the reason I, I think this is I think it's kind of a continuation of a trend. Um, as we spoke, up, spoke about earlier, um, indie authors are getting more professional, the tools are available for them to have higher quality covers and editing. Um, And I think what we're seeing with with AI um, is people and readers might be a little bit more wary of low quality stuff in the future, right? If you read a low quality book um, where things just aren't making sense at all, you're immediately now going to think this was written by AI, um, and so that, that is kind of a concern for a lot of authors. I think there's a, a worry out there that people might think AI was written to use to write one of their books. Um, and so by ensuring the quality of their book and, and having a, a book that's great to read and, and well edited, um, you can stand out from AI generated content. Um, I I don't know how true that is as a concern or or a worry, um, but it's something that seems to be out there that authors are concerned about um, in in this year. Um, And we saw this resulted or I don't know, a lot of the industry experts we talked about, talked about how quality is a great way to stand out in a crowded marketplace full of voices that might not be generated by real humans. Um, So having your, your humanness show in both your ability to connect with readers and create a really high quality book. Um, is a great way for authors to stand out. Um, So that's kind of why. I think it's really a continuation of a trend that's kind of been highlighted by the evolution of AI in the past year. Um, And then the second part of your question, I'm sorry, remind me of that again.
0: So the second part was, what does quality look like? Is it restricted to just eBooks? Is it just a matter of editing? Like what is the manifestation of what this quality looks like?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, the the experts that, that, I, that I interviewed, and in my opinion, I think this this goes to kind of all aspects. So e-books, physical books, I think anything you're publishing, um, quality applies to. And by quality, I mean things like I've been mentioning. So editing, um, not having editing mistakes or, or story structure holes, things like that um, that have always been important to having a high quality book. Perhaps now they're more important than ever before to make sure that those aren't there. Um, And then, of course, your cover and your description as well. So things like that, making sure they're high quality, they fit in well with the other books in your genre. Um, These things are going to be more important as more authors become more professional. And then there's this concern of an influx of lower quality books into the market as well. Um, So by having a professional cover that's had real investment and real time put into it, you might stand out from other books um, that, that could be lower quality.
0: Okay. So this is really interesting for me because I um had, I have been, I love these kind of trend prediction chats and things. And I'm always talking to my friends about, you know, what we think is coming up and whatever. And I was talking about quality last year, which is why I'm taking the route that I'm taking this year. Um, But that's not the only thing that quality is for me because I feel like a lot of indie authors, the professional business indie authors have been doing that anyway. Um, You know, we, a lot of us pay for edits. A lot of us pay uh, designers and all the rest of it. For me, it's, it's about um, two things. The first one is, How do you insert the thing that is uniquely you into your books? So it's, what is that human element that creates quality that is unique to you? So that's the first thing and it's about style and branding and the experience that you're giving to the reader. And that's the second bit: is the experience and the value added. So what else can you do around the book? And I don't just mean uh, community. Uh, I mean, what are the other things that you can add on so like we're seeing this proliferation of kickstarters kickstarter has been rising and rising and rising anyway for a long time but really in the in the author community and it's like the the you know the box experience you know they're getting all these extra bits and bobs and the book then isn't just this throwaway one-time event for for whale binge readers that like netflix and chill like me you know you're then creating an experience where like you might have a the book becomes like a memory that stays with you. It's like, how do you give that book hangover effect? Like, what else can you add on? You know, I'm seeing a lot of romance authors insert playlists in the front of their books, right? Listen to this playlist whilst you're reading. That creates a memory. Music creates, you know, like uh, in the pathways in your brain and stuff, you have like smell and stuff as well. So yeah, I think quality is about more than just the production of the book. I think it's what are you adding in and around that book to make readers remember you and the experience that your book gives them. That's what I think quality is this year.
1: I I, I love (laughs) that so much. I think that that really plays into another trend that we had in the post um, where where we saw branding has becoming more important for authors in 2024 than it has in the past. Um, and, And I think that really kind of melds in with what you were just saying where Kind of bringing out the humanity and what makes you you, and using that to connect with your readers and create this experience. I think what you were saying about creating a sensory memory with your books by by having readers listen to certain songs or music while they're reading is such a good idea. When I look back in my life on some of my favorite books, I think about when I was reading the book and what was going on in my life at the time, right? I don't yeah. think about the book in a vacuum. I think about my experience with that book. Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. If, if authors can connect both themselves and the experience of the book with their readers, you can create a, a really, really powerful connection that can lead to a, a really great community and then readers sharing even more um, with, with other readers and connecting deeper with the author. Um, so yeah, I, I think that that branding aspect, I think authors are really realizing how powerful that can be.
0: Yeah, and like, I don't know how we do this, but I, do you, in America, have you ever had smell vision Do you know Ooh, what smell vision is?
1: I'd, is this a television where you can smell like a, a yeah. sort full of thing
0: so when I was a child we we have this charity event in the UK called children in need and once upon a moon uh, we they sent out these um sheets that you like scratched and sniffed to um and the smell was correlated to like parts of the show can't remember anything about the show but I remember this bloody disgusting smelling thing but the reason that I talk about this is because smell uh, is the sense that is most um, ev- like evocative of memory. So basically in your brain, the pathways, the, the the nose pathways run next to the memory pathways. And so when the synapses fire, occasionally they fire and connect to the like to the wrong thing, which is why smell can evoke such strong memories for people. Um, but... I would love my books to be able to evoke a particular smell. I think this is why we have these cat-scented candles so much, right? Like, that's why authors are kind of capitalizing on that. But I'd love, like, scented pages because I think that would be fucking amazing in terms of the experience. In fact, I might have to fucking investigate this, see if I can do that somehow. But, like...
1: That that's such a good idea. I, I know some authors, um, if they're sending out like a signed copy, they'll spray some perfume in it or something.
0: Interesting. Like
1: that. Uh, but if you do it at, at scale where someone, you know, just direct ship it to them and then yeah. sent. That, that's super cool i think that's that's really powerful um, right
0: exactly but this is all about branding and experience right like how can we elevate your experience your reading experience to the next level um i think i might have to message books going, how do you feel about smelling paper <laughs> <laughs> and they're so innovative i'm sure they'll be like yeah we'll figure it out <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's I think it's a great idea. Do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Anyway. Um. Okay. So, any other like branding things? What are you seeing that's working that authors are doing in terms of branding? Like for the newer authors, how can they how can they do more with branding?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I think you know, talking with with newer authors, when I bring up branding, um, I often get kind of a scared reaction. It can be a little intimidating. Um. Also, the the term branding sounds very cold and corporate. Um, And not that not that appealing. Um, So I like to start off by just saying that, hey, this could be a pretty, a pretty simple thing to begin with. It can be as simple as picking some primary colors that you're going to use on your website, on your social media posts, say, hey, these are my colors and just stick with them. The consistency is what builds the visual brand. So having your colors picked out, and then also using the same headshot across all your social media and about you pages. So you're easy to recognize. Simple things like that are a great way to start building an identity around you as an author and make it easy for readers to find you where they want to follow you. Um, So just beginning with uh, having a consistent visual identity is a great place to start. And then from a personality perspective, think about yourself as a person And and think about the things your friends like about you, and then pick one of those things and think of a way that you can share it with your audience. So it can be a simple thing. It doesn't have to be unique to you. But hey, if you are very into cats, maybe that can be a part of your brand and you can share about how much you love your cats and how when you were writing this chapter, your cat jumped on your keyboard and deleted half of it. Yeah, Um, my cats are assholes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 See, things like that. They're funny. They're a way to connect with readers. Um, And so branding doesn't have to be this intimidating corporate thing. It can be really simple to start. And then you can move on to scented pages later on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's going to be the thing now, isn't it? Like when I see you at Vegas or whatever next time, it will be like, "Did you get the scented pages?" <laughs> okay, um, let's let's talk about TikTok because you mentioned in there that TikTok is maturing, and I know that for me, um, I uh, joined TikTok a while ago, but I only really started using it like consistently in November, and I have seen an explosion in income as a result of, of TikTok. But it was the consistent use. And I know everybody's saying, oh, you know, TikTok's maturing, it's not working anymore. I would Challenge that. I think it's still working. Um, but you've mentioned, you know, TikTok's maturing and that it's, you know, there's advertising and things like that. So like, what do you think is happening? What do you think the change is going to be? What do authors need to be aware of?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I I think TikTok um, still has a lot of power out there for marketing books, Um, you know, with your experience, as as that shows. Um, But something that we know about how these social networks work is they start off with giving people a lot of organic reach. So you don't have to pay to reach a lot of people because the platform is building its audience and building its connection with with its users. Um, And then, as we saw with Meta and Facebook and Instagram, over time, the organic reach starts to decrease. And sooner or later, before you can really reach a lot of people or, or sell anything effectively, you have to pay to run an ad on the platform. And that that's really 100% true with Facebook right now. Getting organic reach on Facebook is very difficult. Instagram, a little bit less so. There's a little bit more potential, but still running ads on Instagram um, is quite effective. Posting organically tends to be a little bit less so. And up until now, um, talking to, to authors, um, TikTok ads have been almost non-existent. It's been almost all organic content, just posting and, and seeing if it goes viral. Um, and I could see in this next year or the next few years, that starts to fade a little bit and TikTok, the company starts to become a little more interested in driving ad revenue. And so the organic reach might start to go down a little bit to encourage people to start spending on ads to pay for reach.
0: Yeah. Um, it's just the yeah.
1: business model of these social networks. Um, yeah. so it might not be 2024. It might not be true for everyone at once, um, but that's kind of a trajectory that we've seen before. So that's something to, to be on the lookout for with TikTok.
0: Yeah, so my challenge to authors is to ask them how they are going to use TikTok to gather their readers. So for me... I have, I, I have, I know that this will cut, this will happen because that's a trend that we've seen over and over again. So for me, it's all about well, how do I capture the readers? So I'm trying to drive all the TikTok readers to my Shopify, and all the TikTok readers to my mailing list. So I, over this boom in December, I've had like nearly a thousand people join my mailing list um, just because of a viral video. I, I think it's just under that, maybe it was like 800. I don't remember. Anyway, I haven't checked in a few days, but. <clears throat> I've seen a huge number of people and I've tried to capture them. And I've done that by having the correct, air quotes, correct. I've, the most enticing reader magnet at the back of my books, because it's all organic. None of that has been paid sign up or anything. It's And I don't have anything uh, particularly on my website. It's literally people from the back of the book. Um, and I now direct people to Shopify first because I get their email address. So for me, I'm like, how do I... Protect my business as quick as possible, like TikTok's using me to create content for its audience, right? So I'm going to use TikTok to gather my audience. And it's like that, you know, how do you... And yes, it's Machiavellian, but you know, (laughs) you've got a business to run. So how can you use the platform that's experiencing this growth to your advantage? Because they don't give a shit about you and your books. So, yeah, I think, I think that would be my challenge to authors to say, yeah, okay, we can see this on the horizon. We know it's going to happen. So what are you going to do about it? How are you going to protect yourself?
1: I I couldn't agree more. I think pushing people (laughs) who follow you on social platforms, pushing them to join your mailing list is always a good idea um, social platforms change drastically sometimes in the in the course of a few days, even. Um, and so, an email—yes, um, other companies control email, but email has shown to be the most consistent, most reliable form of online communication yeah. um, for a long period of time now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, pushing people to your email list—a um, great strategy for authors of, of all levels. It's never too early to start your mailing list.
0: Oh, totally agree. Okay. So let's just circle back to the long game. Like what else can we do to make our businesses more sustainable? What elements could we add? What should we not be doing? What are you seeing um, clever authors doing and not running themselves into the ground with exhaustion? Uh, What, yeah. What are you seeing the smarter authors do in terms of creating sustainability?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one thing is is really effective planning and not getting too high or getting too low, right? So authors that I see have success over the long term seem to be, they might not say they're great at planning, right? They, they might say, oh, I'm a mess. Um, but when you really talk to them about all the things <laughs> that they've done, they do have a plan that they're executing pretty well. It might just feel a little messy. Um, And so authors that plan for the future and stick to their plans um, tend to have a lot of success. And then they they also don't uh, have these really difficult emotional swings when they have a, a really great success and then the next month uh, it, it falls away and, and then they're down in the dumps. if they if they have a plan that they're able to stick to and that they trust, um, then these emotional swings can be a lot less difficult to manage. And if you have a really hard emotional time, it's going to really impact your productivity. Um, And so, if you're able to kind of stave off these swings, um, it's going to help you in the long term. I think that's true for everything. Uh, Even if you're not an author writing a book, I think that's a a solid plan for life. So the the consistency and the planning, um, I think, are something that is always a good thing for authors to focus on.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that what you're essentially saying is resilience, building resilience um, and especially emotional resilience because this is a very tough emotional game. Um, and, you know, I I highly recommend to listeners Clifton Strengths Coaching because that's basically what they're doing is they're getting you aligned to what is right for you and, and creating a business that works for you and then helping you with emotional resilience, basically. And, and like uncertainty and as well, helping you find as much certainty as you can have, because that's the thing that we all struggle with most is the inherent risk um, in this business. And and so, yeah, anyway, I could wax lyrical about that. All right. What exciting stuff is happening over at Written Word Media in the next year? Um, You know, tell me a little bit more about Written Word Media for listeners.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so Written so Word Media, we're, we're a book marketing company, if you haven't heard of us before. Um, but like I was talking about the at the beginning, um, we run email promos for authors, um, where authors pay us to, to email links to buy books out to hundreds of thousands of readers. Um, and so in 2023, we launched promo stacks, ready-made promo stacks that save authors a lot of time um, and, and reach huge audiences. Some of our romance stacks reach up to a million readers um, in, in one promo stack. Um, and so this year, we are expanding that. And in the past couple of weeks, we launched another expansion where we partnered with Book Barbarian. Um, And so we're going to continue building out that offering and trying to offer all the promo sites that authors want in one place and just make that way easier than it's ever been before. So we're going to expand that a lot. Um, And then we've also very recently launched a list building um, product. It's called Subscriber Surge Giveaways. Um, And basically, you can enter your book. Um, and then readers will sign up to join your mailing list for a chance to win your book, other books in the giveaway, and then a higher item, higher ticket item like a Kindle. And then at the end of the giveaway, you get a CSV file, a spreadsheet of all the email addresses of readers who signed up to join your mailing list. Um, and so that, that can be a good way to build your mailing list and market directly to readers, especially um, if you have a, a direct sales store that you're trying to get off the ground and you want these higher margin sales. Um, so we, now we can help people sell books on platforms like Amazon and we can help people grow their mailing lists as well. Um, so that, that's kind of what we've been up to. Um, and we'll just keep, keep going with that. And, uh, like like I said before, if you have a tantrum about something related to, to publishing or book marketing in general, please let us know, and maybe we'll build something to help avoid future tantrums.
0: How do you feel about scented pages?
1: I really <laughs> like scented pages. I'm I'm kind of obsessed with this idea, honestly, um, I'm not sure how it fits into our current book marketing offer. <laughs> oh, too um, bad. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can embed sent in email soon. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you'll be the first to know if we can pull that off.
0: Yeah, amazing. Well, <laughs> this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel.
1: Oh, man. So I knew it was coming. and. <laughs> Didn't want to reuse the the first time. Uh, this is this is such a, a cruel question. Um, all right, so so I was thinking about this. Written word Media. We think a lot in, in systems and processes. Um, that's kind of how we like to work. And so I was thinking about this. I was, I was thinking, all right. So I don't consider myself to be rebellious. Um, typically, I need something to rebel against. And so typically, you know, I'm I'm thirty. And so I, I was thinking, oh, you know what, my my parents, a lot of people rebel against their parents. Um, I have a great relationship with my parents. I've never felt very um, kind of, uh, I don't know, there's not a lot to rebel against there, honestly. So one thing that people sometimes are surprised by is that I have a tattoo that a friend gave me uh, and he just got a tattoo gun off of Amazon and gave me a tattoo. Um, and so oh that, that, my God, you know, why? wild when i just say it like that honestly yeah Yeah. so i think that's probably what i've got to go with
0: wait hold on you can't just end it there what is this tattoo is it like horrendous is it lovely like
1: so so it's 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 great i like it a lot um it's it's a turtle um and uh, you know my my friend's an artist um so yeah i I trusted that it would be a, a good tattoo um and yeah, you know, he, he was also in a, in a really bad car accident. And so now it's, you know, he, he's bounced back so well from that. And so it, it feels cool to have something that that he did, you know, on me too. So, yeah, so oh. I, I think it's a, a cool, sweet thing. But when I say it, like, you know, my friend got a tattoo gun off. The animal, <laughs> like, tattoo, like, that's kind of a, a wild thing.
0: That is uh, wild. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. So have they sort of done any practice or... they
1: they had given themselves some tattoos um, and they fell on to give a a number of people um tattoos just you know at their at their houses and whatnot Um, yeah
0: yeah oh my goodness me that is wild that is trust as well but i do love the the meaning behind it now as well (laughs) um okay well tell everyone where they can find out about written word media and anything else you'd like to add
1: Yeah, um, so I would would just say go to writtenwordmedia.com. You can look at all the the promo stacks and the different ways we can help you market your books there. Um, And then another thing I'd say is just, please get in touch if you have any questions. Um, We have great customer service. Um, We always get great reviews on on how we treat our our authors. We actually won an award for customer service recently. Um, So if you're confused in any way, have any questions about book marketing in general, it doesn't have to be Written Word Media please send us an email to info at writtenwordmedia.com. Just ask a question um, and we will help you as best as we possibly can. Uh, So don't be shy. We're here to help.
0: Ah, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You're welcome. And of course, a giant thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Clayton Noblett, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week when I'm talking to copywriter Joe Watson all about why running your business is like child's play. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.